0: All right. Hey, everyone. I hope you're all having a good day today. Uh, Welcome to our case study session. Uh, Super happy that you all can join us. I'm Josh Baez. I am an engagement manager here at Heinz Marketing. And joining me today is Cherie Keith, head of strategy at ON24. Hey, Cherie.
1: Hey, thanks for having me today, Josh.
0: Ah, Yeah, Super happy to have you. Super happy to be excited. uh, Super happy to be talking about this. This is a really cool project that we are working on I think that it's something that's super unique in the market, and um, it's going to be really cool to kind of dive into the details on this one. For sure. Um, All right. So, I guess that what we want to do is kind of talk about a little, you know, a little bit of background on the project. Let's get some, you know, goals and objectives and all that, and then let's talk into the details. You know, things about you know your our challenges that came uh, with this. You know, what kinds of trials and tribulations that we learned along the way. Before we kind of get started too, I want to make sure that people kind of know what we're talking about, kind of set the context. So we're going to be talking about this Predictable Pipeline Workshop. And for people at home who might not know what Predictable Pipeline is, uh, it's a concept that you know, Heinz Marketing and On24, we've been working on together. And you know Matt, on our side, has really been developing this idea for a few years now. Um, but it's really this idea that's focused around you know ensuring that your foundations, your Things like your target market, your ICP, your personas, your buyer's journey map, everything um, are effectively built, which in turn, you know, enables your sales teams and your marketing teams really to generate more demand and more revenue in a much more predictable way. So that's kind of this idea behind predictable pipeline. Cherie, do you have anything that you want to add to that before I kind of dive in?
1: Yeah, I I would just add that, like you mentioned, Matt is definitely forward thinking in this. And just from my perspective, since I've joined ON24, I've been a big advocate for a lot of the work that needs to be done outside of the fabulous technology that exists in the market today in order for the technology to be effective, but for marketers to be able to demonstrate better results, to become better partners to sales and finance when it comes to predictability and what we're hoping to drive for our businesses.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that note about partnership. I feel like, you know, as that conversation continues to change and marketing, you know, continues to be responsible for more of that funnel. I think that that partnership between every team, you know, cross-functionally, it's going to be more and more important, especially as the buyer's journey, you know, continues this evolution. Cool. Well, uh, before we kind of dive in deeper, I just wanted to make sure we cover a few reminders too. So the workshop that we're talking about today, along with the 80-page workbook that we developed, super proud of that one. Uh, They're both available online. I think that you guys can just email either me or Sheree if you guys want a copy. They're also available on 24's website. So just let us know, you know, hit us up if you guys are interested in seeing more and we'd be happy to share that with you. All right, let's do it. Let's dig in. So kicking things off, Sheree, I mean, what was the reason behind, you know, wanting a program like this? You know, what were the goals, the objectives, the changes in the market? Like what kind of drove this? There were a
1: few things that actually drove us thinking about this. First, uh, we certainly are missing our field events, even at On24, where the webinar is king and drives a lot of our marketing programming. We do do a lot of live events as well. And it's actually funny, we were talking about this earlier, Josh. My first week on the job at On24 in March, I was in Texas. So far oh, from right. home, speaking at two events, not a traditional onboarding experience. And then the world really went into lockdown. So, you know, a big driver, I think, of my time and my relationship and my engagement with the On24 customer base was going to be through live experiences and physical experiences. Knowing that that shifted, we're looking at ways to innovate on delivering that same type of experience to our customers through our platform. And one of those was really exploring this idea of a workshop. We saw, um, we heard from our customers, we hear from our prospects, they really enjoy the time they get with us. And they enjoy the access to best practice content and thinking about doing marketing more strategically. So, of course, we can deliver that through a a traditional webinar, if you'll call it. But there's also this idea of how do we extend it out? How do we replicate that roadshow style of experience, but actually make it more interactive? So that was really some of the driving factors behind that. But this also aligned with the messaging that On24 was working on through Q3 and Q4, thinking about predictable pipeline, thinking about revenue marketing. And also thinking about this idea of how do you future-proof your marketing strategy by really a return to fundamentals. Everything that you were talking about uh, as far as the tenets that Heinz and Matt have set up related to Predictable Pipeline is really a return to the basics. And it's not the sexiest of things. And <laughs> you know we can call it Predictable Pipeline, of course, and we love that. But it's also a lot of return to the basics. So how do we get people excited about that? Uh, But people were already pretty bought into that concept. I I think we're looking for a way to make 2021 not as chaotic as 2020.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I completely agree with everything that you said. I mean, the kind of changes that we experienced this year, I think, you know, obviously it was not an easy time for a lot of people, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of a really good reason to just reset, you know? It's this time that I think a lot of, organizations use to kind of take a step back, you know, everyone had to kind of have a little reality check for a second, and really kind of think about, you know, what it is that they're doing? Like, what are we doing here? Like, what is our purpose? Like, are we actually doing what we set out to do all those years ago? And I feel like this kind of foundational, you know, base setting is really good for really organizations of any size of any kind of maturity, because if you don't have these kind of inf- this kind of infrastructure, you know it really prevents you from being able to scale this moving forward, especially you know as buyer habits change, as buyer committees change, you know all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that too, like you talk about your feedback from your audiences. can you talk a little bit more about you know what kinds of things people have been you know asking for versus you know maybe kind of what the typical you know, offering has been for the last couple of years and how this has kind of been a, been a change from that?
1: Well, this is really about kind of extending, I would say, what we've done. So obviously I'm newer to On24, but in my previous role at Forrester and Serious Decisions, I spent a lot of time actually speaking at On24 events and other similar events where we'd be sharing best practices and methodologies and people gobble that up. So I think there's been really a a void in that workshop style of actually getting that hands-on interaction Mm -hmm. that goes beyond, you know, a a question that you hopefully get to at the end of a webinar and (laughs) extending the time but giving people deliverables too. So you mentioned this workbook. That was really a cornerstone of how we wanted to interact with the audiences. So while we couldn't you know, think about sending out a flat mat and flat Cherie to hold up in their backgrounds, <laughs> what we really were focused on is how, how do we get people a little bit off the screen? And there's not a perfect analogy here about you know online learning and the fact that my kids come home with some worksheets when they do go to school <laughs> two days a week so that they can shut the laptop and do some work like that. But we also wanted people to to be able to interact with that while they were looking at us live and then also be able to take that content and use it afterwards. So we did of course provide them with a digital format of that. So really just trying to bridge those two worlds through this idea of having a workbook that was interactive still, but they can use later and could also you know, read ahead, ahead of time. I didn't, I didn't see too many people do that, but I definitely saw a lot of LinkedIn posts and tweets about uh, the swag box that came along with a, a, like you said, it was 80 pages. It was no small feat to pull that together. Uh, So I think that's one of the things we were most proud of having that content. And, you know, certainly we're looking at right now, how we can reuse this, repurpose it,
0: Mm -hmm. break
1: it probably into smaller chunks in some way, shape or form. And also find ways to just keep that interaction going.
0: Yeah, cool. We talked a little bit about the format of this. I mean, how did this, I guess, like what were the kind of cornerstones of enabling this kind of format to even work? I mean, this is not really something that a lot of people are able to do. Like a three-hour workshop is, that's nothing small by any means. Um, What would you say, you know, helped kind of enable that, you know, Kind of the flow of information and you know the collaboration and the alignment, you know, what led to that? Do you think?
1: Well, I think it's a format that Matt and I certainly are really used to delivering to people. We fly into cities and we do this either in people's offices or in lovely conference centers. So, this idea of having a, a pretty long length of time and it's very two way with a lot of presentations and then collaboration and working sessions. So that format we're used to. And I think the audience members are used to consuming that, but I haven't seen someone take that and actually make it more digital. So that's what we did with this. And I think we pushed the boundaries of thinking about you know, how to create that experience through the On24 platform for sure. Um, I know I've already started to think about how I can reuse this approach, but what Matt and I did is we didn't want, one of the cool things is, I should say, (laughs) we deliver a lot of that uh, predictable pipeline content over and over again. So what we actually wanted to do with the workshop is pre-record sections that we would roll to throughout the time, but then Matt and I were still there live. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So we started live with Matt and I introducing ourselves, talking about the goals of the session, getting people acquainted with the format. And then we rolled and we, of course, made a joke to acknowledge that, of course, there (laughs) was portions of this that are live, but then we actually pre-recorded some of the content so that they got the most out of Matt and I in that moment. We, Matt and I weren't worried about the slides we had to deliver next. <laughs> right. We had spent time a week before recording our slides. So the content that was presented that day was actually purely interaction with audience members, responding to the questions they had, the feedback they had in questions, and then sharing also results of surveying. So we, the other thing we did is really amp up the engagement opportunities for the audience it's three hours. We didn't want people falling asleep. (laughs) So what we did is we had a significant amount of polling questions throughout just to see how people were feeling beyond the qualitative feedback we would would be getting from the Q&A that we were doing. So it was this blend of live and pre-recorded. But ultimately, while those videos were rolling of Matt and I were responding to questions in chat as well. So they really got the maximum amount of interaction from us by letting us do some of the content that we're used to presenting already ahead of time. Uh, so I think that was really the, the core construct and And certainly this was a lot of back and forth, a lot of polling. So using the On24 platform made that possible, made it very interactive, made it really easy from a presenter standpoint, which is good because I was the one driving (laughs) it back. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) No pressure at all here. Uh, So, and the feedback we heard from audiences, it was delivered through that experience, that console that they know and love from On24. So they were able to interact with us, get all the assets right there. Make it really to, you know, easy to go pre-order Matt's book while we were on the on the conversation with them.
0: Yeah. You mentioned too, like because you pre-recorded your content, that kind of took the pressure off of you having to like fumble around with slides, like make sure that you were talking about the right thing, make sure that your talk tracks were all aligned. Like that's something that I didn't even think about too. Like the ability to pre-record information and then use that as kind of more as the supplementary piece rather than I think what so many people are used to doing is the opposite, right? Where they pre-record it and that's the core piece. And then the Q&A at the end is more of the supplementary. But like, if you have your stuff recorded, why not use that as kind of like, oh, we'll just break in and out of this. And then you guys can interact and you can ask questions and you can do all this. So yeah, that's something that I didn't even think about. That's really, really cool, actually. Yeah. Very cool. So let's talk about, uh, kind of the ugly parts of this, like the challenges, the, you know, the things that we didn't expect to run into. Was there anything coming out of this or even coming into this that maybe you weren't too sure about, or, you know, you, you were maybe perplexed by.
1: (laughs) I would say the most challenging part of this was just really thinking from the audience perspective about the show flow mm-hmm. and really having that nailed, making sure that everything lined up in a, a way that would be very cohesive. I mean, the content that Matt and I presented, the slides, the workbook, that was done really early on, I would say, in <laughs> our engagement together. Yeah. What was stressful for, I would say, me is just we were really innovating on format. It, I don't want to call it, it wasn't a new use case for our technology, but we were pushing the bounds of the amount of interaction we were doing just from the perspective of, you know, the traffic cop, if you will, of the session, like making sure, you know, we hit all the polling questions, making Mm -hmm. sure that we are sticking to a timeline as well. Cause you know, the, (laughs) the part of, live Q&A and the interaction, and Matt and I are very familiar with talking with one another after doing several podcasts together, is we also could, one of our risks was going over three hours, which (laughs) is kind of crazy to consider, uh, was just making, right, like we just had a, a really strong show flow, which is, you know, something that you think about really for those live physical experiences and usually not a workshop you know there might be someone in the back kind of waving you but you look down at your watch it's just very different the amount of polling questions we were going through the amount of pre-recorded content and then the time for live Mm Q&A that was really the stressful part for I think us is just making sure that our show flow made sense and that you know on the day of we were able to stick to it as well and we definitely had buffer time i would say that would be a big takeaway is you know we had buffered in you know about 10 minutes per section to make sure that we could roll over um we gave people breaks as well which that might be one thing i don't do in the future cuz i'm not sure if people oh, really take advantage of the breaks or not I definitely saw people saying, we can only stay for two hours. We're going to stay for two and watch the last hour on demand. And we've seen that in the analytics. People oh. return to view it and watch the section that they weren't able to participate in. So that was interesting. But I'm not sure if we needed to do the breaks because, quite honestly, Matt and I just ended up talking over the breaks. And <laughs> yeah. maybe it was a break for the audience if they just walked away. But right. I don't know if um, that break experience, unless we did something like we roll to music, I, that might just be the one thing. A little elevator
0: I, jazz playing in the background.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be the one thing. We didn't get feedback on it, to be honest, but that would be one thing I would probably noodle on more next time.
0: Yeah, well, I feel like, I mean, with those breaks, I mean, if you're doing everything digitally, I mean, obviously in a physical event, those breaks are needed because people need to stretch, go to the bathroom, do all that. Um, but when you're digitally working from home or working remotely, like you can just do that whenever. So that's actually, yeah, that's, that might be a bit, of, a little bit of a, just like of an oversight, even just, you know, going from a physical to a digital event, like it's not one-to-one, right?
1: hmm Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the results of the program? So I know that like from a bird's eye view, you know, we registrations, we had over a thousand people registered, crazy. Um, mm-hmm. over 400 attendees. So that's a 40% conversion rate, which is insane. Like, that's great. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, the kinds of results that we saw and the analytics on the back end?
1: Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head uh, when it came to that. A 40% conversion rate for that much time was significant. But we also did a lot of things, I would say, before the event to make sure that people showed up. So Matt and I did a lot of social promotion of this. I went on his radio show. He came on our podcast. We did, or he did a LinkedIn live as well, talking about this. So there was a consistent cadence of content coming out from the two of us to make sure that people did drive to conversion. We did send out, like you were mentioning before, that box with the workbook. And I think there was a a notebook in there and a potentially a sticker or pen. So just really trying to get people excited to make sure that they did show up. I think the statistic I'm most proud of as a presenter on this (laughs) was the engagement score. So through the on 24 platform, we have a, a a secret sauce, if you will, that we call an engagement score. So this looks at a variety of factors, uh, during a digital experience that someone attends that evaluates how engaged the audience was with you. So polling plays into this, resources downloaded, time attended, and, you know, whether or not the browser window is active, (laughs) like there's a lot of things that go into this. But like I mentioned before, it's something that's proprietary to us, but it's something we monitor both in ours, but across our platform. So the average engagement score was about 4.1 across our platform in 2019. But for this event, especially for if you only look at the live viewing of it. So again, someone who showed up said, I'm going to invest this time here. The engagement score was 6.1. and That's really high. Um, Like I said, average is 4.1, but to see something that high is pretty extraordinary for us. So that was based on, I think it was like well over 150 questions we received in chat that speaks to the Engagement of the audience with the polling question. So, you know, from a results standpoint, the engagement score was was really high. I think the other thing is average viewing time was over 100 minutes. So that was really strong to average viewing live time. So if someone went back after, we're still seeing those results come in. And then I think it was about 300 people who downloaded the workbook. So they had a physical Whoa. copy and people still wanted the digital copy. So that speaks to me about people taking a lot of those templates that Matt and I provided mm-hmm. and using them in their work. So I I think that is, you know, significant and like cool marketing numbers. But if I think about why my sales team is really excited with us right now, is we have a you know, we we like to call it the, the best practice in how we deal with data after a webinar, which is getting it in the hands of our sales team members so that they can have very concrete and actionable things for our sales development reps to respond to. So they're able to see, of the attendees who showed up and participated, what their responses were to every polling question, how they dealt with surveying, what questions they asked, So that they can have a very tailored and specific follow-up. We saw you were interested in, I don't know, personalization. So, you know, is that something you're doing today? Here's how we could work with you in a better way on that. Of course, it's a lot smoother than the way I just articulated <laughs> that. No, that was great. But I'm we're so able awesome. to, you know, give them at their fingertips this wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. about What people we know, all these digital signals like we have the sensors out there through our platform. Now we're able to get people to act on those. So, from a sales perspective, they were really excited about all the data we gathered and what people were excited about. So, you know, the audience perspective is when they do hear from us afterwards, it's tailored, it makes sense, it's not just a blanket follow up. We know uh, what they were excited about, what their challenges are for 2021, and what's top of mind for them as well.
0: That's super cool. Yeah, I feel like you know so many people. I think forget about the post event, right? Mm. It's always kind of focused on you know what's happening before the event. How many emails are we sending out before the event? Okay, the event started and now it's over and now we move on to the next thing. Can you talk a little bit about the event life cycle for this kind of workshop and kind of you know the different? You mentioned it a little bit about you know how you and Matt um, started to send out your own kind of promotional things. Can you talk a little bit more about how we manage that event life cycle from, you know, pre, during to post.
1: Yeah, I think leading up to it, like I mentioned before, there was a lot of social promotion. Certainly we had emails going out, but we're trying to take even our, we try to take our reminder emails even to the next level. Uh, One of the benchmarks I've been monitoring through the on 24 platform is that As we have entered the COVID age, the life cycle for promotion is really condensed now. We see most people registering the week or the week before an event, but usually people are thinking about like a six to eight week promotion cycle for events in the past Uh, especially digital events, I should say. So we're seeing it condensed down. So we really want to make sure that every touch point that we do in those last two weeks is very focused and gives them more and more information to make sure that they show up. Since we know that there are a lot of digital experiences being run Mm -hmm. and especially the ask being three hours of someone's (laughs) time, that's an investment, right? And people works, I mean, people also love really good content. So I think You know, Matt and I delivered with the team on the creation of that content. We knew what we had to offer was really good. It was best practices. It was methodologies. It was really actionable and practical for people to do afterwards. Mm -hmm. During the event, certainly Matt and I had to be on our game (laughs) for (laughs) sure for that time. Um, Being both the presenters and the orchestrators in the background of pushing between all these different experiences coordinating on poll responses, seeing what the results were, having a discussion on each of those. Um, That was definitely the big one there. But then afterwards, I think that tailored follow-up that we're able to do based on the insights derived from the audience's experience with us in that platform go a long way. I think, you know, as far as longevity of the content, certainly we have it on demand. That's a best practice for us to make sure that we offer up all of our content. But you know, generally we see on-demand content viewing less than live viewing. So if you Mm -hmm. run a one hour webinar, someone might show up for the on-demand version for a half hour and they might zoom through parts. For a three hour experience like this, what we're thinking about is, all right, we certainly are offering it because it just happened and it's (laughs) full entirety. But what we're thinking about is how we can atomize it, use it in different ways, pull it apart, and use it in different types of experiences, all of that content that we had done. So that's really where it was. I think the other thing, I did a blog post just about key takeaways from the event to share with people, but I've definitely received a lot of emails from people um, afterwards, being really happy about how it went and you know excited to really get that interaction, I would say, of people answering, not just your question at the end of a webinar in a fast way, but really a whole experience Built around driving that interaction.
0: Mm -hmm. That's great. All right. Um, One kind of last kind of follow up question. In terms of, you know, as we think about the future and what, you know, sales and marketing is going to kind of evolve into and continue this transformation, what would you say your top, you know, next steps for the audience would be when it comes to, you know, either putting together a program like this, building this kind of you know, building this kind of capability into your demand gen engine. You know, what are what would you, what would you tell you know the listeners who want to do something like this? Like, what would you, what would you tell them? How would you well, help?
1: Yeah, what I thought was most interesting is when we asked people at the end of the workshop what their biggest takeaways were and where they were going to prioritize their work through the end of the year. So we were pretty strategic in our timing of this. We did it early enough where people are thinking about planning, but everything's not finalized yet. And people were really focused on reevaluating the buyer's journey. They were really focused on having a repeatable program process where they're Setting up programs in a way that are aligned to the business needs and then also are mapped to what the buyer's journey requires. And then also listening to buying intent signals being a priority. So now that everything is digital and will be for a, a good, strong set of time, like how can we actually listen better and act better on those signals that are out there? So, those being the three priorities for the audience, I would say. You know, certainly if you haven't learned anything about how your audience is doing ever since the pandemic, you just need to stop everything you're doing and think about that now. Um, It's hard to look back at previous benchmarks and previous buying cycles and be able to draw strong analogies. You know, there's a lot of interesting information out there about how buyers have reacted. And certainly they're in cohorts of people who have accelerated purchasing decisions because their business has uh, grown during this time. There are people who are, you know, might be stalling a little bit and just lengthening cycles. And then you have people who are no longer in a buying cycle. So being at able to better identify how your target audience falls into those categories and really think about your go to market as a result of that needs to be the core because you can't keep trying to sell to people who aren't buying right now Mm -hmm. and i think now is the time to really evaluate that so that in 2021 we know where we're going and we're thinking about that and i think the whole idea of having a good planning process in place as you set up your programs is going to go a long way as well. Not surprising. Process is usually something that is hard for people to uh, stick to for sure. <laughs> um, and then finally, just the the signals. I, I think we're at no shortage of digital signals right now from our buyers, but we don't know how to act on them. Right. And we don't have a systematic way necessarily to listen and decide the next best action, whether that be just going beyond the generic and then thinking more strategically about what could be a very focused response based on someone who self-reports a a survey answer, a polling question that is really specific to how you should be engaging with them in the future. Nothing's worse than a, a follow-up or an email that doesn't make sense based on the time you just spent with that company. Yeah. And I think that's really the opportunity that we have um, now that we're all living at work, as they say.
0: <laughs> great. Well, Sheree, uh, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me. Um, this has been a really great uh, session, I think. <laughs> Very informative. Um, for the people who are listening, uh, thank you guys so much again for joining us. Um, and again, if you guys have any questions, please, please, please feel free to um, email either me uh, or Sheree. Uh, You can find me at josh at heinzmarketing.com or sheree at sheree.keith at on24.com. Yeah, if you guys have any other questions, want to know more about the three-hour workshop or the 80-page workbook that we put together, or just want to talk shop, uh, let us know. Always happy to have a conversation. All right, well, Sheree, thank you again. It was so good to talk to you today. Thanks, Josh. All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye, guys